again. Um, uh, if it's your first week with us, we're in the second week of a, of a sermon series. We're trying to work ourselves, uh, talk about how one of the promises of Christ, one of the promises of being a Christian, is that Jesus can change your, your attitude, can change your thinking. Um, that a person who comes close to Jesus should, should gradually become a more peaceful person, a more, a more joyful person, a more kind person. That part of being with Jesus is that his spirit comes on you and, and you start to think different. You start to act different. Now part of what we've, what we've talked about with this, with this notion and, and kind of my, my spirit animal, I guess, for this thing and what I've used to illustrate it is, is a chameleon. Now a, a, a chameleon um, uh, can change its skin based on its emotion or based on its, its, uh, its environment. Uh, can use it to hide or use it to stand out, use it to communicate certain messages to one another. And sometimes as people, uh, we can uh, change our attitudes uh, to, to blend in. And I'm not talking about that exactly, but I am talking about the change that can come over. So I think a chameleon's part of that that I wanted to talk about. When I was thinking about this, uh, uh, getting ready for this sermon, I was reminded psychologists will talk about a chameleon effect that happens with people. That, that people, uh, when they're uh, bouncing off of one another, will start to pick up uh, the, the accent of the other people. Or the, you, it's when you move to a different region of the country and you come back and everybody thinks you talk different. Or, or when you have friends who used to live here and now they've moved away and they come back and it doesn't sound like they're, they're talking the same way. You pick it up. You don't mean to pick it up. You just, you just start to. They've done psychological tests on this. That, that um, They'll put people in a job interview and the guy giving the interview will touch his face a lot, like just, just, just for no reason, just be touching his face while he's talking, and, and that the person in the interview will start doing that too. You don't re- it's like how a yawn is contagious. You know, one person yawns and then everybody has to yawn, or one person, uh, uh, you pick it up. You don't, know, you don't realize you're doing it, you just do. Uh, Josh told me earlier he feels like he's starting to dress like me. So see, it can be positive. <laughs> it can it can be positive. It can be a good thing. Um, but it can be a negative thing. I was reading uh, uh, about this deal. I didn't know it, but uh, bulimia and anorexia can be somewhat contagious. If, if one person is struggling with that, other people who are close to that person might pick that up too, and they start doing it too. You don't plan to do it. You don't really think about it. They've even found out with school conference and stuff. They'll do a school conference about it to explain to the students what it is and, and uh, what to look for if you see one of your friends struggling. And, and what it can actually do is make the students do it more, just knowing that there's something else. And it's a weird thing that we do. We, we see other people acting a certain way, and before we know it, we start to do those things too, even when they're bad things, even when they're, 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 they're things we wish we didn't do. Uh, one angry person in the house has a way of making everybody else angry. One a lazy person in the office has a way of making everybody else lazy. It's, it's, a, it's a strange thing. Even for behaviors that you don't find attractive, if you don't watch out, you can start to do it too. They noticed with teenagers, uh, high school students and, and young college students, they noticed that when they looked at stuff like uh, suicide rates and bulimia and, and gender confusion and bullying, and uh, even porn addiction, they were able to see a big rise, like those behaviors uh, were about this way, and then in 2007, 
They really took off. Something happened in 2007 that really dramatically affected uh, teenagers. Do you know what happened in 2007? Uh, the iPhone was invented. And they can, uh, they can trace a lot of it to that. They can trace a lot of bad behavior because suddenly on YouTube or, or TikTok or, or just in chat rooms, you could find somebody willing to counsel you through whatever you wanted to do. You could find somebody who would tell you how to do the things you wanted to do. And, and suddenly things that maybe before you wouldn't have jumped so deeply into, now you can. I read, a, I read this quote, and it's kind of a long quote. It's by a, an author named Abigail Schreier. She says, nearly every problem that teenagers face traces its back to 2007 and the introduction of Steve Jobs' iPhone. In fact, the explosion in self-harm can be so precisely pinpointed to the introduction of this one device that researchers have little doubt that it is the cause. If I had told you in 2007 that one device would produce a sudden skyrocketing in self-harm among teenagers and tweens, you would have said, well, no way is my kid getting one. And yet, and yet, <laughs> that's a great laugh. And yet, and yet here we are, right? And on the statistical explosion of bullying and cutting and anorexia, depression, and the rise of, of transgender identification, it's all owed to this self-harm instruction, manipulation, abuse, and the relentless harassment supplied by a single smartphone. Just having this device in your hand, having this device in your pocket or your purse, having this device all around you all the time has led to a huge rise of bad behavior because you can always find somebody out there who's doing the thing you're thinking about. And we like to imitate people. So what we've been talking about and, and kind of our, our, our thought, and this will kind of be our theme verse for the whole thing, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. And this notion that this, this hunger we have to mimic people, this, this thing we do to mimic one another, uh, it's natural. You don't have to think about it. You just naturally do it. You can use this to your advantage. And so you allow yourself to be influenced by God. You try to read and pray daily. You try to spend some quiet time with him. You surround yourselves with other Christians who are heading the same direction you want to go. And that same um, thing that we do to mimic starts to work for you. Before you know it, you're starting to build attributes like patience or gratitude or joy or peace or love, And that's kind of the, our next few weeks. We're going to talk about those things. Patience and gratitude, uh, joy and peace and love. And, and how these are supposed to be things that we build. And when you look at Jesus and when you study his life and when you think about how he acted and you fill your head with those thoughts, you will find yourself starting to imitate those things too. So uh, the first week uh, today, if you're here, it's our first week to go through those things. Patience is our deal. When I knew that I'd be preaching on patience, I've been nervous all week long that something bad was going to happen to me because um, usually if you say you're going to talk about patience, then something comes along to test your patience, right? Something comes along to make it hard to hang in. And, uh, and we don't live in a patient society. Uh, there are books, lots and lots of books that will tell you how to lose weight quick, how to exercise quick, how to get rich quick. Uh, if I want to do anything, if I can promise to do it fast, people will buy that book. Um, from the beginning of time until really the last hundred years or so, if you could get someone else to make a meal for you, you were on their time. Even yesterday, my mom made a meal for me. It was soup and a ham salad sandwich. It was really good. But it was on her time, 
whenever she could get it done, I couldn't hurry her on that thing. And if I tried to hurry her on that thing, there be, would have been words exchanged. So I couldn't hurry her. It was on her time. That's how the world worked until, uh, until 1921 when an American entrepreneur uh, coined the idea of fast food. White Castle was the first, in case you were curious. And uh, in 1921, and then McDonald's followed pretty quickly and a few other places, uh, uh, eventually promising that, that they would provide you with food that might not be cheap, it might not even be good, uh, but it would be fast, and you could get it as quick as you wanted. In 1948, a, a California restaurant, In-N-Out, invented the idea of a drive through window. So before, Americans had to walk all the way into the restaurant and sit down and, and get their food. Now, you could eat it in your van like God intended. And so it wasn't, it wasn't something you had to wait for. It was just as quick as it could be. Then COVID happened, and now I can, on my app, have McDonald's have the, the meal waiting for me when I get there. I can, I can order ahead of time at, at one of these restaurants, and the food will be there when I get there. As soon as I arrive, the food is ready. And, uh, and, and no wonder people love that sort of stuff. But it's not just food, of course. It's everything. Most of the stores are going to self-checkout because it's quicker. Anything you can do to get people through quicker. Um, our communication stuff is so fast now. When I was a kid, sometimes I would call somebody, and I wouldn't get them on the phone. I would call and it would ring, or maybe I'd call, I'd get a busy signal, and I'd have to wait until they got off the phone to call them back, and then, then you got answering machines, and then you got, you got cell phones, and, and it just kept speeding up. Uh, this week, this week, somebody sent me a text, and what they meant to say was, I can't talk now, could you, could you tell me later? And this is what they sent. I mean, they were so busy, they couldn't even write text out, right? They were, they were in such a hurry, they had to shorten it to three letters. They couldn't get four letters out. It was just too fast. It would take too long. They couldn't get later written out. The weird part was, I knew exactly what it meant. I mean, when you read that, who needed, who needed vowels, right? I don't need vowels. We could go so much faster without, without any of that stuff. But the, but the, but the, the um, Stanford, many years ago, they did a psychological experiment, and they brought these kids in, and they told the kids, I'll give you one marshmallow right now, or if you'll leave this marshmallow on the table, I've got to go run an errand. I'll be gone just a few minutes. When I come back, I'll give you two marshmallows if you don't eat it. So uh, then they would leave for 10 minutes, and you'd see kids on the video looking at the marshmallow, not sure if they can wait. And some kids couldn't. As soon as the guy left, marshmallow's gone, they're eating it. And they switch around their cookies, you know, one cookie now, I'll give you two cookies later. And then and, and, and some kids cracked immediately. They couldn't wait. Other kids could, and you'd see them struggling, you know, trying to avoid looking at the, at the, at the cookie and, 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 and distract one kid singing, you know, trying to get his mind on anything but the, but the cookie. Well, the, the, the cool part of the experiment was when they tracked these kids the rest of their lives, right, they kept up with them. They found that their ability on the marshmallow test was an accurate predictor of what kind of success they would be. People who were able to wait became richer later in life. They, were, they had better families. They were healthier, I mean, they were, they were healthier, they, they're, 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 they were in better shape, it, it, all because they could, they could wait. And some people naturally have a little more talent than that than others, but, but we all find it attractive, right? 
If I'm doing something and, and somebody asks me for a project or somebody asks me for something on a deadline and I'm, I'm not getting it done as quick as they want and they're impatient with me, I'm offended by their impatience. When they're impatient with me, I'm ticked off about it. If I'm driving down the road and someone's tailgating me because I'm going a little too slow, it makes me want to slow down even more when they're doing that. I, I want to even hold them back. It just ticks me off. Who are you to tell me? To... Now, the weird part is it won't stop me from wanting to push somebody else later on. Even though I find it an unattractive quality, it doesn't stop me from doing it. I just find, I know it's an unattractive thing. I know it's not the kind of thing I want in my life. And yet, if I don't watch out, it can sneak in there a lot. And of all the things we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, patience and gratitude and, and joy and peace and love, uh, this was the worst for me. It's always been one of the hardest things. It's why I'm not a good carpenter. It's why I'm not a good mechanic. I get, I get impatient with it. I get frustrated with it. And I just say, well, forget it. I'm not going to do it. And I won't hang in there. And, and, and stick with it. It's a mental malfunction with me. It is. And I would bet with a lot of you. But here's what I want to talk about over this whole series. Sin, and this sin in particular, your impatience, if you feel like you're an impatient person, or if you feel like you're married to an impatient person, uh, your impatience is not really the cause of the problem. Sin is not the cause of the problem. The problem is you walked away from God. You've allowed some gap between you and God. And as there's been a gap between you and God, between you and God's spirit, as there's been a gap in those things, sin crept in. Sin became the shortcut to make you feel better in the absence of what God can provide. And so the solution to all these things always is get yourself back closer to God. And on this issue in particular, ask God to start changing your heart. Look for ways to draw closer to God in all the different things you do and ask God to invade every part of your life, not just in your quiet time in the morning, but your whole life while you're driving, while you're at Walmart, while you're at work, um, while you do the things you do. And the more you let God come into your life, the more you're going to find that you have the ability to, to change and you're, the more you're going to see your attitude start to change anyway. Eugene Peterson wrote a book a long time ago called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And that's what we're shooting for here, a long obedience in the same direction. As Christians, I find it to be very easy to spark people's interest for a moment in something. We'll do some new project or some new idea here at the church, some new program or, or some new event. It's easy to get people sparked interest for a, for a quick thing. It's hard to get people to sustain. And you know that. It's not just with church. It's with anything because we're an impatient culture. And so what I want to encourage you on on this particular thing is that you give this a chance. And not just a daily chance, but, but one or two days. But make this part of your life. Spend time every day getting close to Christ. Spend time at least weekly getting with other Christians who are heading the same direction you want to go. Because when you do that and you put yourself in Christ's orbit, you'll start to change, just like a chameleon changes, just like we want to mimic other people. And Jesus was patient. Let me read a couple of verses of the scripture to you here. Uh, Paul talks in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And, and Paul, if you're not familiar with his story, before he became a Christian, uh, he was a, a, a villain. He was a terrorist. I mean, Paul believed that the church and Christ and Jesus and that whole movement was, was a great wickedness. And so he was killing Christians. 
And it's all recorded in the book of Acts. He was actually going out and arresting Christians to take them for trial where they could be killed. And, and, uh, and so while he's on his way to another town to arrest Christians, to take them to trial where they can be killed, Jesus appears to him, visibly appears to him. And, 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 and Paul has changed when he sees this vision of Jesus. He's, he's never the same again. And he's talking about that here. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy and appointed me to his service. And again, remember when all that happened, he wasn't trustworthy. He, he, he wasn't trustworthy. He was the very worst sort of person. And, and, but, but, but Jesus saw something in him and Jesus sees something in you. I, the thing that Josh read earlier that kind of hit me during communion, uh, I'm no longer the sum of my mistakes. I think about all the different things that I've done wrong, and, and, and I add all those up, and I think, well, who could ever consider me trustworthy? But Jesus sees something in us. Jesus laid his life down for you. Before you ever knew you had a need, he was given to you. And he was always whispering, trying to call you back the other direction. And that's what Paul is thinking about here. And he says, I thank Jesus, man, where would I have been? He says, even though I was once a, a blasphemer, which means he was trying to turn people away from God, a persecutor, a violent man, I was shown mercy. He said, I acted in ignorance and unbelief. He said, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I did, but I didn't know what I was doing. And again, you think about the mistakes you've made in your past, those, the, the big mistakes. I would give anything if I could go back and undo that. I'd go back anything if I could go back and fix that right? That one thing or those two things, those 200 things. I would give anything if I could go back and change who I became there, right? Uh, well, Paul says, I didn't know what I was doing, and maybe you didn't know what you were doing. You thought you did, but Jesus saw something in you. Paul says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ, in Christ Jesus. That word abundant means, it's a word it seems like that Paul kind of invents here. It, it means exceeding and overflowing much more than you needed, right? He didn't just give you just barely enough grace to cover all your problems. He gave you much more than you needed. In other words, Jesus not only saw the mistakes you had already made, but he saw the mistakes you were going to make in the future. And he considered you trustworthy. He took you in, even with all that working against you. Paul goes on. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. In other words, here's the kind of thing you should say. Here's the kind of thing Paul says you should think. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. Now, now this is not like a false humility in Paul's case. Paul might really have been the worst. I, I don't know. I mean, somebody has to be the worst. Maybe it was him. Uh, but Paul, at the very beginning of the church, when it was just getting started, was killing Christians. Acts chapter 9 says he was destroying the church. It doesn't give anybody else that kind of credit. I mean, he was, he was winning the battle. And so maybe he really was the worst. But that's not exactly what he's saying here. He's saying there's a, here's an expression that everybody should think. Because you're the worst person you know. You don't know what somebody else is thinking, and you don't know what somebody else is going through, and maybe they're acting out and doing some bad stuff, but you don't know what led them to it, but you know clearly what led you to your problem. You know clearly what put you in the hole you're in. You, you know obviously how you got to be who you got to be, 
And for all of us, we're the worst person we know because we know our hearts, we know our thoughts, we know how we act. We know who we are when nobody's looking. And so Paul says, here's an expression that everybody could adopt. Christ Jesus came to save people like me. I mean, people like me, people that I wouldn't take a chance on. He came and took a chance on me. And for that very reason that I was shown mercy, so then me, the very worst of sinners, Paul says, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Immense patience. One of the things that's going to inspire us to be more patient is when we think about Jesus and, and what he did and Jesus and how he acted. And again, not even in the Bible stories, with you. With, with you. Somewhere, for most of the ones in the room here today, there was a point where it became obvious to you that Jesus was who he says he was. It became obvious to you, for most of the people in the room, that, that, that one day it, it all made sense. All the pieces fell into place. You, you, it made, you, okay, I get it, God. I didn't see it before, now I do. And I see that Jesus is who he says he was, that he really was God in flesh, and that he really laid his life down for me. And when that occurred to you, probably at the very same moment that occurred to you, you also saw yourself for the very first time. And you saw what a sinner you were, and you saw that you had made mistakes, and, 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 and they weren't just, some of the mistakes were innocent mistakes, but a lot of them you did on purpose. And a lot of the things you did happened because you were stubborn. We can look back at our lives when I was 20, when I was, when I was a teenager, and, and, and sometimes you go to a, a reunion or a family get-together, and they say, hey, remember when you did this? And it's like, oh, man, can I ever get away from this story? You, and you can't, right? It happened when you were 20. You were a moron when you were 20. You didn't know what you were doing, and, 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 and you know, I'm much better and smarter now. But, but, but there's a million stories like that, you know? And I, and I didn't know, or I thought I did, and I made this stupid decision, and I blew it real big on something important. But he has immense patience for me. He never stops. He just never quits. Jesus tells a story about his own patience. He says there was a, 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 a king... And the king was really rich, and he was so important, and he was so busy that he had another man basically run his estate. And the other man that he had run his estate uh, was skimming some off the top. He was stealing money, and he did it over several years to where finally when it was exposed that the, the accountant had stolen millions and millions of dollars. And when the king found out about it, he calls the guy in, and he says, well, what, what about this? And the guy begs for mercy. Oh, king, you know, I don't know what I was thinking. But it had been several years, right? I mean, it wasn't like just one mistake. He'd been doing it for years and years and years and years and taking all this money. And so he's lying. Oh, I don't know how it happened. Well, he knows exactly how it happened. And, uh, but if you give me mercy, I'll pay it back. And he's lying again there too. There's no way you can pay it back. There's just too much. And the king says, uh, okay, we'll just write it off. We'll just... We'll just write it off. And he lets the guy keep his job. He keeps him on. Doesn't that, not only doesn't go to jail, he lets him keep working. And the, and the guy walks out of there and he's thinking, man, what a day. Probably the adrenaline is still pumping and his head's spinning. He can't believe how close he came to going to jail. And he sees a friend of his who they played poker a couple nights ago and, and, and he had lost, the, the other guy had lost some money and he owed the accountant the money. And so the accountant grabs, hey, where's my money? You owe me a hundred bucks. 
And the guy says, oh, man, I don't have it with me right now, but give me a minute and I'll get it. And I'm not going to listen to that. And he has the guy thrown in jail. In that time, uh, if somebody owed money, you could take them and put them in jail. And the, the jailers would beat on the guy until the family came up with the money. It was a pretty effective way of getting money collected. And, uh, and so he throws him in jail thinking he's money. Well, the other servants see this. And they go to the king. And so the king calls the accountant back in. He says, wait a minute, I forgave you millions. I forgave you millions. How could you not forgive this guy hundreds? And so the king says, forget it. I want all my money back. And so he takes the guy and he throws him in jail till he gets it. And he'll never get his money back. That guy won't live long enough. He doesn't have enough friends to pay it all back. And Jesus says, that's what it'll be like with you if you don't forgive from your heart. If you're not, if you're not patient with people. Jesus had immense patience for us. Just fantastically immense patience. How can I not be patient with other people? If I really processed that in my heart, if I really thought about that for just two seconds, how can I get mad at people when they let me down? I mean, Jesus, I let him down so powerfully and enormously, and he forgave me anyway and didn't just forgive me, but still invites me to heaven, still considers me trustworthy today. How can I not be patient with other people? If I really understood that, how can I not be patient with people today? Paul finishes up his thought here. He says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, to him be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's got to be our stance too. When you think about what God has done, he deserves all the praise. You know, I can't believe that God did all this for me. I can't believe that God continues to do all this for me. When we talk about building patience, know that knowing God and thinking about Jesus and considering Jesus and reflecting on Jesus is always step number one. So, so today, if this is something that's interesting to you, I want to get better at this thing. I want to be a more patient person. I'm a little scared to try, but I want to, again, step one is not to think about, okay, be patient, okay, be patient, okay, be patient. That doesn't work. The step is get close to Jesus. Get your heart really close to Jesus. Really ask Jesus to invade your thinking and, and meditate on him slowly. Um, second, uh, realize you're not the most important person in the world. When I was in high school, I think I've mentioned this before in other studies, uh, my high school Sunday school teacher, when we were in high school, and he was always trying to think of creative ways to get us interested he brought in a satanic bible one week and he said uh he said you know there are people out there who are trying to to go the other direction that's why what we do is so important and he he made one point in the lesson that stuck with me all these years uh he showed me early in the satanic bible do you know what the most important holiday is in the satanic bible you'd think it's halloween you'd think it's halloween halloween's number two the most important holiday in the satanic calendar is your birthday because the Satanist believes you're the most important thing in the world. Now, we are on the other side of this thing, right? We realize that when we, make, when we each make ourselves the most important thing in the world, everything breaks down. Marriages can't survive. Families break down. When we all think we're the most important thing in the world, nothing works anymore. The only way this world works like it's supposed to is when we go by the Creator's plan, the one who made it all, 
and we take ourselves down a couple of pegs. It's not about hating yourself. It's just about realizing that there's a lot more going on than just what you want. And so be humble, you know, on purpose. Take the slow lane occasionally. That's really tough on me. On purpose at Walmart, find the longest line and get in it. Occasionally, occasionally, let someone else go ahead of you at the restaurant. You don't do it every time. You don't do it every time. Just occasionally do it. Because every time you take those kinds of steps, you're reminding yourself, it's not just about me. And that's a healthy thing. Okay, and so first, know Christ. Really dig deep in there. Second, humble. And third, be generous. Push yourself to be generous. Push yourself to give a little bit more than you do. It's not about a certain number in my head. It's not about a certain target uh, to shoot for. Just a little more than you do. If it's hard for you to give regularly, start giving regularly. And if you don't think you can give very much, then just give a little. If you don't think, if you think I'm just saying this so you'll give to the church here, that somehow it lines my pockets, then don't give to the church here. We're going to tell you about some other opportunities here in the service that you can give your time and money to. Focus on one of those things. We're doing this awesome project right now trying to make beds for kids in the neighborhood who don't have beds. You could devote your time and energy and money there. And every dollar and every bit of sweat that you give to it is going to bless somebody who doesn't even go here. What a good thing that is. Because again, whenever I give like that, I remind myself that it's not about me, it's about God. And when I focus real hard on God, I start to change. And I start to become the person who I'm supposed to be. Again, when I was getting ready for this sermon, all week long, I was sure something bad was going to happen. I was sure uh, I was going to have a flat tire or, uh, or I would get stuck in the long line at Walmart. Or uh, the last time I preached a sermon on patience, I got behind somebody at the grocery store who paid in change. It was, it was, <laughs> and they had this whole big Tupperware bowl full of change, and they unsealed it and they started counting it out. I mean, I expected, I was sure something like that would happen. I mean, all week long, I was, I was comp, I kept looking for it to happen, and it never did. So I don't know what my afternoon's going to be like, but it never, it never did. I kept waiting, and it never did. And I know for some of you, that may be the fearful thing, too. Okay, if I start trying to change on this, all I'm going to see is my sin, right? I'm just going to have one opportunity after another to see how bad I am. Don't think that way again. You, you put your focus on Christ and how good He is and how good He's been to you. And a lot of the changes will come kind of subtle. The other thing about this is I caught myself in the sermon thinking most of the week, uh, how can I make this easy for people? Because I do that in my sermons. How can I make this easy? And the weird part is, how can I help impatient people understand what patience is? And, and it's, it, it's, 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 you can't do it. It just, it, it's just slow work. But it's worthy work. It's the kind of work that will bless your marriage, it'll bless your parenting, it'll bless your neighborhood, it'll bless your work, and it will bless your soul as you draw closer to Christ. So I'm going to have the band come back up. I'm going to give you a chance, if anybody here needs to pray about this or about anything else, to do that. At the end of the service, we'll have some people on both sides here and, and some people in the back of the room, and you can go pray with them and just ask God about whatever you want and do take advantage of this, of this moment, of this time. You know, for most of us, we just run all week long 
And then you come to this place just for a moment, and it's quiet, and it's calm, and, and you've got a minute to think. And if, if, if you need to, in this moment, draw close to God, take advantage, because as soon as you leave here, the whirlwind's going to start again. And before you know it, a couple days will have went by, and you won't have taken a chance to draw close to God like you should. So we offer this chance for anybody who needs to make any sort of a decision about the Lord at all to do it. Won't you stand up? I'm going to pray with you, and then we'll close our service. Dear God, I thank you for this group. I pray, Father, for them. If there's anybody here, God, who needs to draw close to you, who needs to, uh, God, see your, your spirit move, see your, your hand move in their life, I, I pray, God, you, you open that door. And God, I ask you uh, today, especially for someone who might be here who is hurting in one area or another, there's things that aren't going right. There's things that aren't clicking along like they're supposed to. And they're so frustrated. I pray today, God, that you remind them that you're watching. And that when we tie ourselves to you, that you can make us right. In Jesus' name.